This is the Village Church Q&A podcast, where our goal is to create digital, shareable, and helpful content to make disciples who will go, grow, and overcome. Welcome to the Village Church Q&A podcast. Pastor Tim and Pastor Michael with you. And Michael, you and I are going to get to talk about a subject that I think we both have some strong opinions on and some biblical foundation that we can support our thoughts. So here's our question. What about Pentecostals? <laughs> I, I, you and I were kind of talking about it. Well, what about them? What about them? <laughs> well, they go on and they say, uh, they, Pentecostals, seem to follow the, quote, law, law pretty closely. Do not drink, do not adorn yourself, etc. I think they believe they are filled with the Holy Spirit, but we are not, meaning non Non-Pentecostals. And why can't I speak in tongues? Um, <laughs> I love the question. It's like, it's a really good, appropriate sure. question. So we're just going to give a flyover. Pentecostalism emerged out of late 18th century, uh, or is that 18th, 19th century, 19th century. 20th century. Yeah, and the Azusa Street Revival, 1906. Yep, yep, on the West Coast. And it was it was the bubbling up of some sub doctrines in different places on charismatic gifts, baptism of the Holy Spirit, et cetera. Read right around that time, some new ideas around what speaking in tongues really were started to emerge. I do want to emphasize that these ideas are not uh, you will not find them in the historical church. So Correct. these are indeed new ideas to the modern church. Although it might be very common for many of us, a uh, hundred years ago or two hundred years ago, two hundred years ago, it didn't even exist. Yeah. So, so the the idea though is that uh, there would be this time when you would get saved, the Holy Spirit would seal you, but then what would happen is that there would be a subsequent thing called the this, baptism of the Holy Spirit, or a second baptism of the Holy Spirit, Correct. or a greater baptism of the Holy Spirit. Yep. So Pentecostal would say, have you been baptized in the Spirit? So you get baptized in water at your first conversion, and then when you get baptized in the Spirit. In Pentecostals, there is a spectrum of them as well. And so yes. some will say, if you don't speak in tongues, you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit. Some will say, well, most people who are baptized in the Spirit do speak, do in, speak tongues. in tongues. But by and large, I mean, we'll just say most Pentecostals will say this. There's a second baptism of the Spirit separated from the first baptism, if you will, when you're saved. And most Pentecostals would hold to some form of speaking in tongues. Yeah, everybody can do it. Like it's for everybody. It's a personal prayer language. Some of them would make a distinction between your personal prayer language and what happens in corporate worship, and those are different. A lot of stretch in the text in some pretty profound ways. Yes. But that's one of their hallmarks. And then accompanied with that, um, because in the last episode, we talked about how about when a pastor begins to go charismatic, his interpretive method changes. Yes. Part and parcel with charismatics is an interpretive method that is much more emotionally driven. Now, we call it emotional who are not Pentecostal. <laughs> they would call it spirit-driven. Yes. It has led to a whole bunch of practices over the last 120 years that have been a little crazy. So mm -hmm. like, um, and again, we're talking spectrums there, here. Yeah, there is a spectrum of Pentecostalism. Right. So I went to a vineyard church uh, in college for about a year. It was a pretty decent church. Uh, they would be on the charismatic side. They would believe yeah, they, in they would be on the spectrum speaking somewhere. Speaking in tongues and whatnot. But then um, we visited a vineyard church in uh, da, 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 Indiana, Fort Wayne, and they were off the charts, like <laughs> yeah. just off the charts. And then we would go to an actual Pentecostal church in Fort Wayne, and the Pentecostal church took everything the vineyard churches were doing, times it by 10. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. There's a vineyard church in um, Ontario. No, Toronto. I'm sorry. Toronto. And they had yeah. people barking in the spirit yep. and uh, passing out in the spirit and vomiting in the spirit. Yep. All these kind of crazy yep. things. And for a while, the Pentecostals got themselves into a lot of trouble. There are other things that come with Pentecostalism 
For example, oftentimes they have a really, really high view of their pastors. They'll call them apostles or prophets, and they usually make a lot of money too, by the way, a lot more than other pastors. And then they love laws. Yes. They love rules. Yeah. And so there's a rule about everything in Pentecostal yeah. churches. And there is in this spectrum that are very strict. It seems that they hold very sternly to the Old Testament law, yep. to certain dietary codes and some other things. Women can't dress a certain way. They can't wear makeup. Their hair has to be, never can be uh, cut. There's just all kinds of rules and regulations that uh, I think you and I would call that legalism. Yeah. So what's what's really funny, Pentecostals, as you hear us process, are going to be hard to nail down sometimes. So let me tell you some like other versions of Pentecostals. All yeah. the snake handlers in uh, Florida. Yeah, yeah, that would be. The guy just got bit and his dad died and then he got bit and he didn't die, but it's uh, snake. Those are Pentecostals. Yeah, those are Pentecostals. Which, which we we have are, those in Kentucky and Tennessee, uh, by the way. I bet you do. <laughs> some of the conservative, more conservative Pentecostals would like never identify oh, they would never with do them. That. You know, they're like, yeah. hey, they're just frustrated. They even like claim the name yes. Pentecostal. Yep. And then you have on one hand of Pentecostals are like super conservative, no makeup, long pants. On the other end of the spectrum, Pentecostals, there seems to be no middle ground actually, is um, like you go to TBN and you have the women with big hair and lots of makeup yeah. and they're like all like whatever. Uh, prosperity, uh, faith healing, et cetera. All of that comes out of Pentecostalism. And all that prosperity comes out of Old Testament theology. Absolutely. So what they do is is Pentecostalism is is known for an, two things in their, her, their hermeneutic. Sorry, mostly don't know what that means. In their interpretive the interpretation. Method, one is they are by nature very emotionally driven. And so they often interpret what they're feeling for the spirit, which can and cannot be true. depends on the day. And then they also have an interpretive method that takes Old Testament promises, often of prosperity, and then they apply them to the church. Now, if they go too far with those promises, then they become health and wealth. Yes. So you'll have a church like Hillsong that will take those promises, apply them, but then will in the next breath say, which I do appreciate that they rein it in. Yeah. They say, but uh, God's intention is not for prosperity for everyone, right? Mm, which is good. Mm-hmm, so a, yeah. a good prosperity preacher is going to tell everybody the poorest of the poor, God wants you to be happy, healthy, and wealthy. And so some of the more conservative Pentecostal churches rein that in a little bit. I would say there's a new wave of Pentecostalism, which Hillsong would be kind of on the front end of that. Uh, Bethel would be a part of that. A lot yeah. less rules, a lot, mm-hmm. lo- a lot more focus on the Holy Spirit. On the Holy Spirit moving in people's lives. Absolutely. A huge focus on worship. What most people don't realize is the profound impact of Pentecostalism on modern worship with Hillsong and Bethel, Bethel yep. and to a degree elevate, elevation worship, not as much though. So anyways, like how do you even put like a Pentecostal in a box? Right. You can't. Here's the two things we say. Their interpretive method is very emotional, which mm-hmm. leads to very some strange conclusions, number one. And number two, their interpretive method, I would say, misapplies Old Testament promises often to the church, which creates legalism, sometimes prosperity gospel, et cetera. Anyways, all that being said, they are also the greatest evangelists in the world. Well, yeah. When we look at the church as a global movement of God, and where is the church growing and prospering, the Pentecostal movement of evangelicalism is what is exploding in the 21st century. Let me give you some numbers just to categorize what I'm talking about here. The Pew Research Center that pulls resources from Christians around the world, they determined that there's about 2 billion people that have self-identified as Christian. And according to this research, one-fourth of them, or 500 million Christians, identify in some form as Pentecostal. 
So it is a very large percentage of what most people would refer to as Christianity or evangelical Christians. There's a, a huge problem underneath the numbers. Not the, the problem isn't with the numbers. The problem is with, with what's actually happening. Yes. So in Africa, all of the missionaries I know, their greatest concern is for the Pentecostal evangelists. Mm-hmm. The reason being because prosperity preachers always, always masquerade as Pentecostals. Yeah. And... Whenever you find the global South in poverty, you find Pentecostal prosperity preachers everywhere, and they're building churches, et cetera. And often what's happening in these churches— They exploit the people. —are people being exploited, pastors getting really rich, apostles who are moving from church to church, making tons and tons of money. But as Paul says, and I believe Philippians, he talks to to the church about people who are peddling Christ for money. Mm -hmm. And apparently this is not a new issue. Nope. But— Sometimes when people do this, they still preach a pure gospel, even though their motivations are ridiculous. So it doesn't discredit the numbers in terms of people who actually associate themselves with Christ. And, you know, a a good half a billion of them are definitely Pentecostals. And the Pentecostal church is growing. But the prosperity message uniquely connects to impoverished communities. And so there is a growth in that. But one of the biggest concerns for, like, we have missionaries that we support as a church, and he runs a seminary and trains pastors. Mm -hmm. And the biggest problem they have are all the hooligans stealing people's money and preaching a false gospel and overcoming the very, very poor doctrine and the interpretive methods of the Pentecostals globally has been one of the most difficult things. Now, as I say that, it does not mean all Pentecostals are bad or no, people not have at Pentecostal all. roots No, no we're bad. not saying that. So I just want to make sure that's very clear. I do think, though, that with some denominations, you have to be particularly careful. Sure. And those are the ways you have to be particularly careful about Pentecostal churches. Watch out for emotionally driven interpretive methods. Watch out for prosperity preachers, faith healing preachers. Yep a lot of goofiness and bad interpretive methods in general. Uh, in Baptist churches, look out for fundamentalism and rules. Legalism. And legalism. Yeah. And every place has got their thing. Pentecostals just are a lot bigger and their things are a lot <laughs> worse at times. But it doesn't mean that every Pentecostal church is, is bad. I was a youth pastor in Missouri and we uh, did youth group together with a four-square church, which okay. is a version of Pentecostalism. It's a form of Pentecostalism. And so their youth leader would always, he would tell me all the time, whenever we talk about spiritual gifts, he'd say it in front of the kids. He said, you have no power. And I, I would say, why do you say that? He goes, you have no ministry effectiveness. You have no, you have no kingdom impact. And I would say, why? And he said, because you don't have the Holy Spirit. Wow. And that was, that was just such a wow. deep conviction. And so when I would teach, uh, he would just say, you're, you're teaching in the flesh. Really? Because if you don't have the power of the Spirit, you have no power. If you don't have the second baptism, and I'm like, well, how do I know I have the second baptism? <laughs> and he would say, you, you, it's evidenced by speaking in tongues, and you need to ask God for it. Oh. And I would say, I would read 1 Corinthians 12, where it says, but all do not speak in tongues, yeah. do they? No. And he would be like, that's not what that means. And I'm like, <laughs> well, what does, well, what does it mean, mean if it doesn't mean what it says? All right. And uh, it didn't matter. Yeah, at the end of the day, for, for them, that group of people, whom I loved, but yes. it didn't matter what the Bible said yeah. because it mattered what felt right. And they're constant retort back to me was, so you're saying everything we've ever felt in our worship services is just us and not Mm, the Holy Spirit? mm. And I'm like, it could have been indigestion. That's possible too. But like, yeah, I'm telling you that it doesn't matter what you feel. What matters is what is rooted in the Word of God. Yes. And experiences that are consistent with the Word of God, I can validate that. Yep, yep. Anyways, we've beat this horse to death. Well, listeners, please come back next time when we're going to answer a question about the unrepented sinner 
that is found in 1 Corinthians 6, 9. 